Well, good morning. Welcome to Cypress Bible Church. My name's Nathan. I'm the Senior Adults Director here. Well, we want to welcome each one of you, and we want to welcome those of you who are joining us online as well. We're so glad that you are with us and that we can be together both in person and online as one body of believers as we worship God together this morning. Well, as we begin, we have two announcements for you. First of all, the, uh, regarding the Go Local Ministry Team. If you would be interested in learning more about opportunities to serve with the Go Local Team, we invite you to join one of two informational Zoom meetings that are happening. There's one today at 3 o'clock and one tomorrow night at 7 p.m. Now, if you join one of these Zoom meetings, uh, you'll learn more about our Go Local initiatives to reach our community, including starting home groups, engaging with schools, reaching out to the international community, and offering English as a second language, as well as much, much more. So there was a link that actually went out in an email on Friday, uh, the link to that Zoom meeting. Uh, so that may already be in your email inbox, but if for some reason you did not get that, don't worry. Just go to our website and visit the local outreach section. You'll find all the information that you need there on our website. And then secondly, you know, Christmas is right around the corner. It'll be here before you know it. And here at CBC, we love to celebrate Christmas in a variety of ways. But there are two in particular uh, that way, ways that we um, not only celebrate the birth of Christ, but reflect his love to those in need. So for more about that, let me direct your attention to the screens for a very special video announcement. Hey, church family, Pastor Dave here. It's Christmas time, and we all have Christmas traditions, and my family... Christmas tradition is to watch Elf multiple times because we love Buddy the Elf and we all love to quote Norval the Whale who says, Bye Buddy, hope you find your dad. So at Cypress Bible Church we have Christmas traditions as well that help us to continue the good cheer of Christ's birth through two different ways. One is our in-house Christmas blessing and also Operation Christmas Child. We'd like you to participate in either way or in both ways. Both of these ministries are in the spirit of our Go values. Go local, go global. So here's what we do. For Christmas blessing, we make it easy for you. Give a financial gift that is identified for benevolence. So make sure it's marked on the check or in your gift, either cash, credit card, text, whatever, just identify benevolence. Second, your benevolence team will distribute Christmas cards, a Christmas booklet on the true meaning of Christmas, and a wonderful financial gift that will make Christmas possible for families in our church that are having a difficult time or may not have a Christmas. And also, we usually bless about 40 families. Now, Evan's around here somewhere to tell us about Operation Christmas Child. Hey kids, what do you think's in the box? Merry Christmas! <laughs> Let me help you, Evan. Ooh. Ooh. Okay, let's see. I'm, I think I'm a little stuck here. Let me get a tool to help you out. Okay, thanks. Ooh. Um, you know, this year I've felt stuck. Have you? We haven't been able to travel or go all the places we wanted to or go on mission trips in 2020. But you know what? You can be physically present around the world through the gift of a shoebox. Operation Christmas Child delivers Christmas gifts to more than 100 countries, but those gifts come from you. A shoebox filled with toys and useful supplies not only meets kids' needs, but it carries the message of the good news. It says you are important, and God loves you, and you are not alone. 
As local churches share these gifts, they also share the good news of Jesus. So you can pack a box online or at home. Pray for the kids who will receive this gift. You can give to pay for shipping and drop it off at the trailer at CBC Sundays from 9 a.m. to 12.30 p.m. Through a shoebox, you can travel to the farthest reaches of the world with the gospel. I think, I'm, I think I'm stuck. Hey, Evan, I found a tool for you to get you out of your Christmas shoebox. Oh, thanks, Dave. Bye, everybody. I hope you find your Christmas blessing. I love it. I love it. Well, in all seriousness, Operation Christmas Child and Operation Blessing are a big deal here at CBC, and there are significant ways that we share the love of Christ with those in need. So we hope that you will be part of both of those things this year. Well, as we prepare our hearts to worship God this morning, consider with me these words from the prophet Jahaziel, the son of Zechariah, from 2 Chronicles 20, 15. Listen, King Jehoshaphat, and all who live in Judah and Jerusalem, this is what the Lord says to you. Do not be afraid or discouraged because of this vast army, for the battle is not yours, but God's. You know, sometimes it may feel like we are all alone in our battles, but the truth is, God is with us. And when it comes to our spiritual battle, we praise the Lord, for He is our salvation. As we will sing in just a moment, when all we see is the battle, God sees our victory. And when all we see is the mountain, God sees a mountain moved. Let us read together these words this morning from Psalm 121. I lift my eyes to the mountains. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. He will not let your foot slip. He who watches over you will not slumber. Indeed, he who watches over Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord watches over you. The Lord is your shade at your right hand. The sun will not harm you by day, nor the moon by night. The Lord will keep you from all harm. He will watch over your life. The Lord will watch your coming and going, both now and forevermore. CBC, I invite you to stand with me this morning. Let us raise our voices together as we praise God, who is our salvation.
power of our God. Now you sing it. Shine in the shadows. You win every battle. Nothing can stand against the power of our God. And almighty force, you go before us. Nothing can stand against the power of our God. You shine in the shadows. You win every battle. Nothing can stand against the power of God. One more time. our shelter, our strength, our fortress, our deliverer. He is our very present help in time of need. And so friends, how will we respond to him? A great way to think of it is to take a look at Romans 8 verses 31 to 39. And we're going to read this together. You'll see words in yellow on the screen. And as we get to the yellow words, I want to invite you to read those. So let's take a look at this passage. It says, what then shall we say in response to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies. Who then is the one who condemns? No one. Christ Jesus who died. More than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. No. In all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Thanks be to God. Welcome me. I was lost, but he brought me. 
Come to the well that never runs dry. Drink of the water, come and thirst no more. Come on, you sinners, come find your thirst. Come to the table, it will satisfy. Taste of His goodness, find what you're looking for. take a seat for just one moment. And I want to ask you to turn your attention to the screens. We have a very special message from our children's ministry. So let's take a look at this for just a moment. Here, Claire, you carry the food. 
Here, I want you to carry these. And hang on one sec. And I want you to carry this as well. Dad, what do I get to carry? Hmm. Alright, don't lose these. These are very important. Claire, go ahead towards the campsite. Yeah, we'll get the rest of this, alright? Wow, Dad trusted you with a whole little bag. Aren't you the responsible one? Come on, Claire, throw me an apple. I don't know. Do you think you can handle it? Looks like Dad and Mom knew who they could trust with the important stuff. Come on, Claire, let me have a snack. Oh, sorry. We seem to be out of pretzels. They're coming. Dad trusted me to take you to the campsite, just like he trusted me with the food and the fishing poles. And he trusted you with, what was it? Oh yeah, a little bag. Dad told me to hold on to this, and it is really important. Dad said so, and he knows best. Dad knew you couldn't handle the big important stuff, so he put you in charge of, oh, uh, a little bag. Hey, those marshmallows are for the s'mores. Just quality tasting of you. My fishing pole's stuck, can you help me with this? No, you're in charge. I'm going to the lake. Hi, Mom and Dad. Hey, Claire. Wait, where's Andrea? Oh, she went down to the lake. You were supposed to be watching her. Looks like it's about to start raining. We better get this tent set up. Here, let's go get uh, the tent set up. You got caught again, huh? Dad, can we eat now or go fishing? Well, it's about to start raining, so we need to get inside the tent. Andrea! Come on, Andrea, they're waiting on us. Why do we need Andrea? Cause, because remember, we set up the tent. What she has is super important. Without these, our tent could blow away. Guys, it's starting to rain. Get inside the tent, come on. All right, let's eat. Now, Claire, don't tease your sister. We gave her one job to do, but she did it very well. I 
was in charge of the tent pegs that were keeping the tent from blowing away. All the different jobs in our family are very important and we need everyone to do their part faithfully. That means that we need to consistently follow through. Yeah, with no one thinking that their job's more important than anyone else's in the family. Exactly. We have to work together to make everything work. And we all have to know our jobs and do them to the very best of our ability. I carried the tent. And it wouldn't be secure without the tent pegs that Andrea carried. All believers work together, just like the church. Some people teach, some people lead worship, some people lead small groups, but everybody works together. Yeah, like if you're in church of the food, you should do a faithful job and not eat at all. Yes, that's true, Andrea. But the good news is we've got more food right here. Let's break out the sandwiches. Let's pray together. God, you are our creator, redeemer. You have fashioned us in your image. And because this is true, we are each of great value. Lord, help us to understand the wonder and awe of who you are, that we might better appreciate who you have made us to be, our identity in Christ Jesus. Lord, I know that we come from very different circumstances, each one of us, this week. And we need every single day to be reminded of your great love. We need to know that uh, whatever we are facing, whatever we are going through, your word tells us that we are more than conquerors in him who loved us. And so we rejoice today in the salvation that belongs to all of us who are in Christ Jesus. The depths of your love are beyond our understanding. Help us in this time of worship as we might sing and say and hear things about who you are and who you made us to be, that we would come away with a better appreciation of your love, that we would live in a way that expresses that love to our neighbors, to our enemies, to those who disagree, to our church family, to our friends and family. Lord, uh, overwhelm us today with who you are, your grace, your mercy, your forgiveness, through Jesus Christ our Savior. Amen. I invite you to stand. Let's continue to lift our voices in praise to the one who has been our salvation, our rock, our foundation. Let's see this. How deep the Father's love for us. How vast beyond all men that he As wounds which father the children. 
In uh, 2018, a, uh, a published study showed that uh, male students in science, technology, engineering, and math tended to overestimate their own intelligence and ability. That's one side. And then the study also showed they also tended to underestimate the intelligence and ability of their female classmates. Um, that might help explain why we tend to mansplain. Uh, mansplaining, as uh, you likely know, is when a man explains something to a woman assuming she knows more, he knows more about it than she does. Uh, Amy and I, uh, several years ago, were watching a story on mansplaining, and when it was over, I turned to her and I said, uh, I don't ever mansplain, right? And she said, oh, yes, you do. 
And I was shocked by this, and so I began to define mansplaining because she clearly did not understand what it was. Self-deception. That's the theme of our text today through 1 Corinthians. Begins, let no one deceive himself. And we fool ourselves about all kinds of things. Uh, One study asked people to uh, choose the most accurate photo of themselves from a group of photos. And and some of the pictures were accurate. In other words, they weren't doctored in any way. But others had been uh, photoshopped or manipulated in a way to either make this person look worse or better than they actually did. And and interestingly, the study found that people almost always chose the photo where they looked 20% better than they did in reality. So not only can we think that we're smarter, thinner, prettier, nicer, fitter than we actually are, it can also go in a negative way. Uh, We might see ourselves as more unattractive, unwanted, unsuccessful, unlikable, unhealthy than we are. Self-deception. And Paul says to the Corinthians, don't deceive yourselves. Why does he say that? Well, these words are directed at the people of God those who have put their faith in Christ alone to rescue them from the death penalty of sin by his sacrifice on the cross. As a Christian, I need to avoid self-deception. And so do you. So remember, this letter, 1 Corinthians, was written to, uh, by the Apostle Paul to this church in the city of Corinth. And uh, he had planted that church about five years previously. And now, learns that the church is struggling with division and jealousy, spiritual pride, sexual sin, and selfishness. So Paul writes to correct this church, and this word from God will correct his people today as well. This is our seventh week in the study of 1 Corinthians, with many more to come, Lord willing, and this theme of self-deception. What I want to point out to you, there are two ways we see in this text two ways that Christians get caught up in self-deception. Now, there are others, but the two that this text focuses on, and ways in which you and I, as followers of Jesus in our world right here and now, can get caught up in self-deception. And so buckle up. We have a a lot to cover here in these few moments, and uh, uh, trust that as we see these two ways that we get caught up in self-deception, we'll also see uh, how to get out of that trap and what God has for us, which I think is pretty exciting as we understand this text. The first way we see described here is that you deceive yourself by using the wrong wisdom. Verse 18, do not deceive yourselves. If any one of you thinks he is wise by the standards of this age, he should become a fool so that he might become wise. For the wisdom of this world is foolishness in God's sight. As it is written, he catches the wise in their craftiness. And again, the Lord knows that the thoughts of the wise are futile. So this contrast between the world's wisdom and God's wisdom has been a constant theme in the first three chapters of this letter. Uh, Christianity, let me say again, is not anti-intellectual. It's not anti-science. It's not anti-reason. Now, there are Christians who approach it that way, but that's not uh, biblical Christianity. Paul himself was an intellectual. Uh, He was one of the greatest thinkers of his time. Uh, But the issue is that the deep questions of life can't be solved by intellect and reason alone. 
Uh, worldly wisdom, let's define it again, is about gaining meaning in life through things like success and wealth and intellect and relationships or anything. It is salvation by human effort and ability. That's worldly wisdom. Salvation through human means, human ability and effort. And that approach is foolishness to God. In fact, uh, it is spiritually worthless. Uh, Paul says it's futile, it's empty, meaningless. God's wisdom, on the other hand, is salvation through faith in Christ crucified. That's the wisdom of God. The bloody, humiliating, countercultural, embarrassing, shameful message of the cross. The wisdom of God is that you are staking your life on this absurd idea uh, that a crucified Jewish teacher is the Son of God whose death brings salvation to all who believe. And that's foolishness to the world. That's ridiculous to the world. Now, the Corinthian Christians were deceiving themselves because they thought they could trust in Jesus and then continue to think and reason uh, like the world at the same time. Uh, They were enamored because their culture was enamored. These Corinthians were enamored with impressiveness and power and intellect and recognition and success and and self-importance. And these are the very things that God says are foolishness. And this led them to boast about their association with human leaders. And they divided, this congregation did, over their preference for one leader over another. Uh, they, uh, they looked for significance and joy and satisfaction in their connection to impressive people. So, so let me put it in these terms, a little bit more personal. I deceive myself whenever I interpret life by anything other than Christ crucified. That, that's how I'm deceiving myself. When I look at any part of my life... Uh, any other way than through that lens of Christ crucified. So let me give you some examples. Uh, Rick and Kathy were neighbors of ours years ago. Uh, They uh, were nice people. We got along great with them. We were friends with them. Uh, At one point, um, we had a neighborhood Bible study, and Kathy was willing to be part of that. Uh, Rick, uh, not so much, uh, I believe. But he and I had spiritual conversations, and at some point he began uh, to to express some faith, as Kathy uh, did as well. In fact, I learned uh, that, uh, not from Rick, but I learned that uh, every Monday he would go into the church office. They didn't go to our church, but he'd go into the church office and and get uh, a sermon tape from the day before and listen to my sermon. These were cassette tapes. That tells you how long ago this was. And he would listen to that on his commute. Uh, And and so it seemed to be he was progressing in in this faith of his. But then Rick lost his job. And... uh, he had a pretty well-paying, high-level job and, and no longer had that opportunity. And he refused, absolutely refused, to take anything less than his previous position. And so he was months and months and months out of work and refused to look at anything below the level at where he had been. And this caused conflict in his family, and his marriage, two uh, daughters. And eventually, it sadly led to separation where now Kathy was our only next-door neighbor, and, uh, and then eventually divorce. See, Rick viewed life through the lens of significance and pride rather than through the sacrificial humility of the cross. That's how you think in the wisdom of the world rather than the wisdom of Christ crucified. Uh, or take Lois and Wayne. Uh, they are solid 
Christian people who were extremely fiery in their political convictions. They were so attached to a political party and so attached to a political a presidential candidate, a presidential ticket, that uh, this colored all of their lives. Uh, it colored the, the uh, Sunday school lessons that uh, they taught little children. It, it colored the um, uh, marriage mental mentoring that they did with this uh, young married couple. It, it influenced their business and their social engagements. And, and so when their candidate lost, it was as if they had been handed a death sentence in their family. And so here's a vivid image in my mind. The night after that election, I was walking across the church campus, and I saw a light on in the worship center. And uh, I figured, well, that, that, somebody must have left the light on. There shouldn't be anybody there at that time. I walked into the worship center at the back, and there up at the front, uh, sitting at the piano, Lois was Lois. She's a, a, a very wonderful pianist. Uh, she is playing the saddest, dreariest funereal hymns you've ever heard in your life and she is sobbing tears streaming down her face onto the keyboard you see uh, Lois and, and Wayne viewed life through the lens of political identity and success rather than through the sacrificial victory at the cross big difference worldly wisdom now I want you to just look at any aspect of your life with the world's wisdom and it will disappoint you deeply your sense of worth, security, identity, satisfaction will be attached to the wrong thing. Whether it's children or career or accomplishment or marriage or money or influence. So here's the incredible truth for the Christian. You don't need to do that because all things are yours. Now notice where he continues, verse 21. So then no more boasting about men. For all things are yours, whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas or the world or life or death or the present or the future, all are yours and you are Christ's and Christ is God's. Say, well, what is involved? Did ever look at somebody's Instagram posts and get this overwhelming feeling of inferiority, of jealousy or fear of missing out? You don't need to. Because if you're in Christ, all things are yours. Do you ever crave for secondhand significance by name dropping or attaching yourself to someone who is prominent? You don't need to, because in Christ, all things are yours. Paul shocks these Christians who are trying to rally behind one leader. And he says, you don't belong to me. Apollos isn't your savior. Cephas isn't your God. I don't possess you. They don't possess you. We are yours, people of God. What do you mean, Paul? Everything is, uh, is yours. So let's go down the list. This world. This whole God-created, God-owned, God-ruled, natural, sinful, broken, painful, beautiful, horrible, hopeful world is yours. Not just part of it. All things from the most incredible beauties to the most insidious cancers. It is yours, everything in it. And everything that happens on it is, is working together for your greatest and longest good. Life is yours. Every beat of your heart, every breath, every emotion, every thought, every day you face, every night you sleep, every action you take, every word, every relationship, every plan, every success, every failure, every text sent, every line tweeted, every, every snapchatted, every gift given 
every sin committed, every laugh, every tear, every joy, every pain, all of it, all your life, is yours. You don't belong to it. It belongs to you. Death is yours. Through Jesus Christ, I'm set free from the law of sin and death. Where, O death, is your victory? The sting and the power and the fear of death has been taken by Jesus. He destroyed death and has brought life through the gospel. Nothing in all of creation, not even death itself, can separate you from the love of God that is yours in Christ Jesus our Lord. And so death is now your servant. At the end of your life, death serves to bring you home to Jesus. You don't belong to death. Death belongs to you. Death is yours in Christ. The present is yours. All things are yours now. Every moment is your servant. Every moment is God's brushstroke on the canvas of that masterpiece of your life that he is creating. Every moment, the sad, the happy, the fearful moments, the bold moments, the lonely moments, the grieving moments, the ecstatic moments, the sleeping moments, all the moments, the present is yours. You're not the slave of time or chance or any sequence of events. You own them. They are yours. They are God's servants to bring you to glory. The future is yours. Nothing will come to you 10 seconds from now, 10 minutes from now, 10 days, 10 months, 10 decades, 10 centuries from now that is not yours. You don't belong to the future. The future belongs to you. You will shine like suns in the kingdom of your Father. You'll be kings and priests. You'll you'll be over two cities or five cities or ten cities. You'll be a pillar in the temple of God. God will be your God and he will walk with you. Uh, His friend, his child, you will sit with Jesus on his throne. You will never sin again. You will know and you will grow in immeasurable pleasures forever. And you will be the fullness of him who fills all in all. The future is yours how why because you are christ's you belong to him you have all things in him you are his body his bride his brother sister his temple his masterpiece his co-heir in all the riches of glory and so instead of prideful gossiping here's where this hits the road instead of prideful gossiping instead of jealous craving instead of insulted complaining you are satisfied that in Christ all is yours. That's how you look through the wisdom of God. Don't deceive yourself by using the wisdom of this world. Second way in which you deceive yourself, you deceive yourself by looking at the wrong judge. We go into the next chapter, verse 1. So then men ought to regard us as servants of Christ and as those entrusted with the secret things of God. Now it's required that those who have been given a trust must prove faithful. I care very little if I'm judged by you or by any human court. Indeed, I do not even judge myself. My conscience is clear, but that does not make me innocent. It is the Lord who judges me. Therefore, judge nothing before the appointed time. Wait till the Lord comes. He will bring to light what is hidden in darkness and will expose the motives of men's hearts At that time, each will receive his praise from God. One of my best uh, friends, beginning in college, as well as one of my college roommates, his name was also John. We called him Boomer. He was uh, very um, gifted athletically, uh, musically, a variety of ways. And uh, 
uh, he uh, was the third baseman on our college baseball team. One day, rumor, word went out that a scout from the Philadelphia Phillies would be coming out to see Boomer. And um, I, lots of us, I mean, college baseball games in our, they weren't very well attended, but this one was because everybody wanted to see, uh, you know, Boomer get scouted. How cool would that be? He was drafted by the Phillies. I couldn't go. I had a tennis match that day, so I was anxious to hear when it was all over. How did that go? I don't remember. I don't think we won. All I remember from that is hearing that Boomer made three errors that day. So the Phillies didn't want him. I don't know that the Phillies ever wanted him. That was in the middle of Mike Schmidt winning multiple MVPs, I think, Hall of Famer, third baseman. They didn't need Boomer. But did that mean he was not a good baseball player? No. And change a thing. The fact that he, he went into finance instead of athletics, but still, good baseball player. What happened? I, I, it seems that that pressure of having, knowing that someone was there to judge you, to evaluate you, made Boomer tighten up and kept him from playing his best. The only time he ever made multiple errors in a game. But that pressure was great. You can identify with that. You can understand that. Abraham Lincoln delivered his Gettysburg Address 157 years ago next month. Uh, today, we see it as one of the the most powerful speeches in American history. And, and I think it, most of you could probably even quote some of the lines, at least the opening line of that two-minute speech. Not very long, very powerful. And yet, uh, as you probably know, that got mixed reviews and quite a number of negative reviews, both from people in the audience and, and others as well. A Chicago newspaper called his words silly, flat, and dishwatery. A London newspaper commented, the ceremony was rendered ludicrous by the remarks of that poor President Lincoln. A Pennsylvania paper said, the veil of oblivion will be dropped over Lincoln's words and they shall no more be rebated. Other people loved it. Who's the judge? All of us face evaluation, critique. Uh, in our schoolwork, in our job, in our performance, in our relationships, all kinds of ways. Other people judge us, both good ways and bad ways. We judge ourselves in good ways and bad ways. And often we're our own worst critic. We get down on ourselves, and the comments of other people can bring us down. And in the opposite way, we can feel really good about ourselves without any real good reason to and think really good about our accomplishments, or other people can praise our efforts and make us feel good, but evaluating yourself or the evaluation of others, whether it's good or bad, is all self-deception. Do you understand that? No matter who evaluates you, you or someone else, whether it's good or bad, it's all self-deception. Say, well, what do you mean? Well, to those Christians in Corinth who were putting Paul and Apollos up on a pedestal or other people, Paul says, never forget, we're servants. We're helpers. We're assistants. We're, we're under orders. That's who we are. God has given us a responsibility to fulfill. And the most important thing he says about that is faithfulness to that responsibility. 
So Paul says, whether you admire me or disrespect me, all that matters is that I'm faithful. That's all that matters to any servant of God. What you think about me is not important. I could have you all fooled. Some of you could think well of everything I do. Or some of you could be very critical of everything I do. But no one can know if I'm truly faithful. You don't know my motives. You don't know my heart. And Paul says, I don't even know myself. He said, not only can't you tell, I can't even tell for sure. I'm not aware that there's anything going wrong in my life. Paul said, my conscience is clear. I'm not covering up some secret sin, but that doesn't mean I'm innocent. Now, do you see how meaningful this is for us? Last week, we talked about how all of us who belong to Jesus are building on that one foundation, the foundation of Jesus Christ crucified. That's the only foundation. Apart from that, you're not saved. All of us who are in Christ are building on that foundation. And how are we building? We saw last week in our text, chapter 3, verses 11 to 15, that our good works are the construction materials that we're using to build on that foundation. And the question was, are we building with quality materials or not? This is not, this has nothing to do with salvation. That only comes through faith in Christ alone. This is about rewards. This is about how your life uh, is viewed in in God's mind. If you belong to Jesus, the question is, will your good works survive God's quality test? And just a reminder, what we saw last week is that that quality test is its quality of effort. Is this the best you can do? Or are you just giving it less than the best? Is it quality of motive? Uh, In other words, are you doing this for the right reasons? Are you trying to build your own kingdom, your own reputation? Uh, people-pleasing. Or third, is this quality of purpose? Does it bring glory to God? Is this pointing to God or is this pointing somewhere else? And so that's the only kind of work that survives the test. So if you're building on the foundation of Jesus, uh, God's fire of judgment will come to test your work uh, and, and, uh, and that which is not valuable will be wiped away. Um, other people might look at you and commend you or condemn you and it's so tempting to define ourselves by what other people say and think it's so tempting to evaluate our own selves and either feel really good or really bad about our work for god and the reality is you cannot be a hundred percent sure even of your own motives and that's the reality so you're looking at the wrong judge i spent uh, as i recall three years teaching junior high boys every Wednesday night. It's like a dream job, right? And I look back on that, and I try to evaluate, all right, why was I doing that? So here's my breakdown. 40%, I think, was because I felt that was how I could use my gifts and my time on that Wednesday night to serve God. It's about 40%. 40% was because there was nobody else to do it. All right, so we got 80%. I got another 10%, which I think I was doing it to please people. There were people that say, thank you, this is helpful. None of them were junior high boys, by the way, but the the other people. And then there was 10% of why I was doing this was to shame other people into stepping up. Now, those are approximate averages. I have no idea. I'm just telling you. So here's the deal. Um, I think a lot of what I built in those three years is going to get burned up in the fire of God's judgment. That 
maybe 50% will be left. Uh, maybe less, maybe more. I don't know. I can't determine. But God's going to say, yeah, the quality, no, nah, that wasn't there. So some of it's going to get burned away. Faithfulness, being a good steward of the gifts and opportunities that God gives you, isn't something other people can properly judge. It's not even something you can properly judge. You don't even know your real motives all the time. Human wisdom is incapable of measuring faithfulness. Human judges fail because their perspective is limited and biased, and their judgment is not final. So whether they think you're doing a great job or they think you're a failure, guess what? It carries zero weight with God. Whatever they think of you carries zero weight with God. He alone knows your heart. So here's the reality. Only God can determine the true value of your work. He's the only judge. And we constantly look to other judges, including our own self. God alone determines your reward. That's how Paul ends this passage. God's going to commend everyone according to their work as he determines it. So don't allow people to devalue your contribution, no matter how nasty they might be. Don't let your own insecurities discourage you. Don't be deceived by the praise of people, no matter how well they think of you. Or, or don't be deceived by your own pride that, oh, here's what I've done. Do you see how freeing this is? You are God's possession. You are his treasure. You are purchased by his blood if your faith is in Christ. And a performance review is coming. And it's not going to be based on what others think of you. It's not going to be based on what you think of you. It's God's viewpoint. He alone can judge you. And if you are working to please people, if you're deceiving yourself, ultimate praise comes from the Lord, and that's the only praise that matters. I read a story this week about a tiny little town in Alaska where no roads connect it to the outside world. And uh, so the, the, the main way people get there is by ferry. There's a ferry service. But during the pandemic, the ferry service has been cut off by the government. And so now you have 446 residents in this tiny little town that have a problem. They have food, not a lot, and the price of that food is exorbitant. It's growing. Oh, Tosh Parker is the guy who owns the town grocery store. And uh, Tosh decided to take some action. Uh, starting back in April of this year, uh, Tosh took his 96-foot barge, and made the seven-hour journey through glacial, frigid seas to a, a small Costco in Juneau, Alaska. Tosh loaded his barge with $20,000 worth of eggs, flour, meat, canned goods, and vegetables. And then he made the seven-hour journey back home. And he's been doing this once every week. Navigating past these snow-capped peaks and, and through these vast expanses of, of frigid icy seas, he does this. And Tasha's not making a profit from this. He's basically breaking even. He's being a good neighbor. And the town now calls his store Toshko. And every Wednesday, when that barge pulls into the town harbor, everyone is waiting. Tosh says, when we unload, it's like Christmas. It's a real cause of great celebration. As you faithfully follow Jesus, 
as you whose trust is in Christ continue to live for him in your world day after day, week after week, year after year, doing things unseen, unnoticed by many, there's a celebration coming. One day, all of you who belong to Jesus will face a performance review. When that ship pulls into the harbor, it's called the judgment seat of Christ. 2 Corinthians 5.10. It's not about salvation. No, it's about the quality of your work, whether good or worthless. And even if much of what you have built on the foundation of Jesus gets burned away, because your trust is in Christ, it will still be a day of celebration. That's the good news of the gospel. So right now, don't deceive yourself by using the wrong wisdom to interpret your life. Don't deceive yourself by looking to the wrong judge. Use the wisdom of God in Christ crucified. Live to please him first, and you will receive praise from the only one who matters. The Lord of eternity will say, Well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into my joy. Let the celebration begin. Lord, thank you for your grace and goodness, your mercy poured out to us through Jesus Lord, may we lift up the one who has done all for us today. May we have a better understanding that all things are ours because of Jesus today. May we live our lives with your wisdom that you have provided through your precious Son and his sacrifice for us. We pray this in the power of the Spirit and through the name of Christ our Savior. Amen. together let's stand all of creation all of the earth make straight a highway a path for the lord jesus is coming soon call back the sin wake up the same let every nation shout at your
God, we wait. You're coming soon. Sing that again. So we wait. So we
Thessalonians 5. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely and may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. Go in peace. They say sometimes you win some, sometimes you lose some. Right now, right now I'm losing back. I stood on the stage night after night.